Okay. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Facebook Live by me, Jill Foose of Jill Foose Wellness. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach located in the city of Chicago, and I love bringing all things health, interesting science, and just the latest um, information on how to optimize our lives. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Daryl Bouchard, and um, he is a third generation salt expert from Redmond Real Salt in Redmond, Utah. And if anyone's ever in the shopping aisles of Whole Foods and um, other health food type stores, and you, I'm sure, have seen Redmond Real Salt, and they are just such an amazing company. It's the only salt of choice that I have on my custom grocery list for my own clients. So um, Daryl is, like I said, a third generation. He's in of from Redmond Real Salt. He is into healthy living, healthy eating. He's a lifelong learner, just like me. Daryl grew up working with his family mineral business in um, Redmond, Utah, in the salt mine. And he earned a Bachelor of Science degree at Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University. And he is the salt encyclopedia. And I'm so excited to bring him here. So Daryl, welcome to Jill Foos Wellness. And I'm just really excited to deep dive into some salt. Jill, thanks for having me on tonight. That was quite the intro. Uh, <laughs> that's not quite the one that I wrote, but uh, that was very kind. I, I do love salt. I am very passionate about it. I think right up there with um, oxygen and um, water, it is uh, right up there in the top three as far as importance goes. So glad you could spend a few minutes with me this evening. Oh, really looking forward to it, especially just debunking some of those medical myths around salt, especially with hypertension. So, but before we dive deep in all of that, I, I want to tell you about the first salt memory I had. And I was thinking about this last week. I actually had a conversation with my mom um, about it. So my first salt memory was back in the 1990s. My dad had had his first cardiac event and his doctor stabilized him and then sent him home. And these were the exact dietary instructions of the 1990s. No salt, no red meat, no saturated fats, and no cholesterol. And as a 95% carnivore, uh, I can tell you that's my entire formula every day, morning, noon, and night. Um, salt, I eat salt, I eat animal proteins and saturated fats, and that's pretty much it. So back in the day, doctors were our saviors. They were our gods. We didn't question them. We didn't disagree with them. We believed them, and we believed the science behind what they were saying. And I remember my mom had to like switch over how she would cook for my dad now, and she followed the doctor's guidelines for these new healthy meals. And she made this one thing, and my brothers and I laugh about it all the time. She made this veal loaf, okay? And fine, I love veal, right? I love veal piccata, right? With tons of healthy fat in it. But this veal loaf was really special because it had no salt and it had no fat. So when she flipped over the loaf pan, the whole thing just like fell apart onto the plate. It was so disgusting. And we had three dogs back then. So one of my brothers 
was so funny. He picked up the plate, put it on the floor and thought, all right, let's see if the dogs will eat it, right? If the dogs aren't eating it, we're not eating it. And guess what? The dogs sniffed it and walked away, right? Because animals know what they're doing. Animals know what they need. They eat when they're hungry. They sleep when they're tired. They hunt when they have to. And they, they drink and they look for salt licks, right? And they look for salt for why? To survive. So it's just us humans who screw up the formula. So here's what I know. Back then, doctors didn't really receive any nutritional instruction, no health classes um, about healthy foods and how food could impact someone's life. And the current generation of doctors are absolutely changing that paradigm. They're seeking more functional medicine um, paths to heal people from the inside out and not just put band-aids on them, which would be like pills and um, maybe some unnecessary surgeries as well. And this new, um, this new way that these, this new generation of doctors is studying and, and learning and supporting their patients is disrupting science and paving the way for an optimal health um, you know, way of life which is amazing. So my, my father eventually passed away of a heart and kidney disease um, about nine years ago. And I still eat grass fed steak. I still salt liberally and I still eat um, a ton of saturated fat and I've never felt better in my life. So I'm really excited to get started on some questions because I think a lot of people out there are all worried about the same thing, salt and hypertension. And my doctor said not to use it. And especially when we're talking about the elderly, they just, they grew up in that genre. They, they grew up in the generation. So it's very hard for them, especially to change their mindset. So I'm asking everybody before we deep dive into some questions, just be open-minded right now and listen to the new the new research, listen to the new science that's out there. And it's actually not that new, but it might be new to you. And one thing I do want to say is um, Daryl and I are not medical doctors. And we might know a lot of interesting information about health and wellness because it's our, our livelihoods. But whatever we say here is not for you to change in your life without talking to your primary physician. So always have that conversation. If for some reason your doctor seems very close-minded about hearing any of this, get a new doctor, get a doctor who's more open-minded and more current with the research. All right. Are we ready to take a dive into um, the salt mines? Yeah, let's do All it. Right. Okay. Before we even talk about salt as an essential mineral, tell us about Redmond Real Salt. Tell me about your family history and how this all was discovered and started. Okay. Yeah. So um, in the 1950s, my uh, grandfather and his brother had a farm in central Utah. And just north and just south of their farm, there was a little outcropping of salt that the Native Americans had actually harvested before the early you know, settlers coming west came across this valley. And so they knew there was salt under their farm because there was salt north and south of their farm. And my grandpa during World War II was a riveter and business manager at McDonnell Douglas in California for the war effort. And his brother was a miner at Kennecott, which is a big uh, copper mine here in Utah. So they had some business and mining experience. And in the 1950s, there was a drought in Utah that was really making it hard to, to make a living as a farmer. But the, because 
they knew there was salt north and south of their farm, these little outcroppings that had been pushed up to the surface, they figured there was salt below their farm. So they got a loan and got a bulldozer and below, you know, bulldozed the alfalfa and the corn and the barley out of the way. And 30 feet below the surface, they hit this mineral crystal salt that was laid down during the Jurassic era, long before, you know, a lot of the um, you know, acid rain and Exxon Valdez and BP and this ancient seabed that was trapped deep within the earth in the Jurassic period was pushed up and just happened to be under their farm. And so they started selling salt, mostly to farmers. Uh, you mentioned how important salt is to animals. You know, any, anybody in animal husbandry knows that salt is essential for a healthy animal. And if they don't have access to salt, they'll have birth defects, they'll have all kinds of health problems without access to the salt deposits. And so we were selling the salt primarily for, for healthy livestock and also to keep the roads safe because salt, as you know from Chicago, salt keeps the, the roads de-iced. And so in the 1970s, when the health food movement started to take off here in the US, a nutritionist came through and took a tour of the salt mine and went home and wrote an article about the healthiest, tastiest salt in the world comes from this little town in Redmond, Utah. And so we started getting phone calls saying, hey, we'd like to buy your salt for our health food store. And at the time we didn't really have it in a, in a package for your health food store. And so we sat around and said, what do we call this stuff? It's not, you know, it's not processed salt. It's not um, fake salt. It's not low salt. It's, it's mm -hmm. just real salt. And so we put that on the label and sold it as real salt. And uh, now you That's can awesome. find it in uh, health food stores and grocery stores, um, you know, all over now. So tell me again how they knew there was salt. What do you mean by there was salt, salt they knew about from the south and from the north? Yeah, so the, the name of the town is Red Mound. And there's these three red mounds, kind of red mound or red mound mm -hmm. behind the town. And the, near town, the nearest town to the town of Redmond is a town called Salina or Salina, which is Spanish for salt. And so when the settlers came into the area, the Native Americans had actually been harvesting some of the salt from the surface. And so they knew there was salt that was pushed up near the surface. And so north and south of their farm, there were these two little outcroppings. So geologists say that back 150 million years ago, now I wasn't alive back then to confirm any of the actual dates, but um, a long, long ago before we were here, there was an ancient inland sea that covered all of Utah, parts of Montana, parts of Idaho. This whole western area was covered by this ancient inland sea. That was down at sea level. So the Arctic Ocean had flooded down and left this big body of salt water when Utah was at sea level. Well, Utah and the whole range was pushed up a part of the Colorado Plateau because under pressure and the plates have shifted, it's pushed Utah up. And as it's pushing Utah up, this seabed that was at sea level trapped deep within the earth has also been pushed up like this. And so the salt deposit is about a quarter mile wide, about three miles long, and about 5,000 feet deep. And so that deposit, quarter mile wide, three miles long, 5,000 feet deep, sits right serendipitously right in the center of my grandfather's farm. Wow. Incredible. And tasty. So, so we're not going to run out of real salts anytime soon. You know, that's a question we get often. Uh, so we've been, you know, harvesting the salt since the 1950s, uh, late 1950s. And geologists estimate at current production and increased production at the current rates that there's about 900 years or so left of salt. 
Oh. If anybody's been to like Salzburg, the mines over in Europe, they're, the salt mines there are just beautiful cathedrals underground, very cavernous. There's a lot of salt under underground. Okay, that's good to know because I really like the salt. <laughs> yeah. Keep salting your food liberally. Yeah. So it's interesting that a um, nutritionist came by in the 1970s because my next segue and my next question is about Dr. Lewis Dahl. And it's kind of hard not to bring up this doctor who in the 60s and 70s conducted these huge experiments on rats. He wanted to find if there was a correlation between salt and high blood pressure. So he fed these rats. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Great. That's the, that's the actual study. I can oh, that's awesome. I love, oh, yes, please. So this study is so cool. I mean, for those of you not in the health field, like I, I get it. You're, you're not going to look for this stuff, but like people like me, I, I dig for this stuff. So anyway, Dr. Lewis Dahl, he fed these rats over 500 grams of salt, which is hundreds and hundreds of times more than a, a human would ever eat. And that induced high blood pressure. And that's how he made his um, correlation between salt intake and hypertension. So as, you know, quickly people accepted this as being the truth. And, you know, it's only in recent years that, or the recent decade that people have scientists and doctors have looked at it again and said, Hey, you know, this is an unrealistic, um, experiment because he, he induced the hypertension in these rats. Um, what, does your family's company do to help mitigate that that myth that that experiment that created such a bad name for salt? Yeah, you know it's interesting. If you ask almost anybody today and you say who has heard salt's bad for them, a lot of people. I would guess a lot of our viewers tonight would raise their yes. hands hearing that salt's bad. And yet, when you walk into a hospital, hopefully you're walking in or rolled into a hospital the first thing they're going to do is they're going to hook you up to an IV of saline solution, which is 0.9% uh, sodium chloride, because our bodies are saline solution in motion. Our tears are salt. Our sweat is salt. Our urine, trust me, is salt. Um, on our bodies, we don't, even if we drink distilled water, um, our bodies, when we are uh, perspiring, you know, perspiring uh, if we cry, we sweat, we urinate, we are losing water. And with that, we're losing salt. And our bodies are saline solution in motion. So we absolutely have to replace the water, which we're good at. We know when we get thirsty. But just as important as water is those electrolytes that offset that. Otherwise, we'll just keep flushing salts out of our system. And, and not only the salt. I mean, the salt is essential for a lot of things we'll talk about because it's part of the sodium-potassium pump and it, it balances cellular fluids. But the chloride, and we can talk about that later too, but the chloride that's with the sodium is just as important for the body. And so when people hear salt's bad and they go to a low salt diet, they get headaches, they get nauseous, they have poor digestion, things, the whole system starts to shut down. Um, and so we just try to tell people, look, we know salt has been painted with a bad brush. And a lot of people, are, if they're eating heavy processed foods, they're eating a lot of salt that's been highly processed with foods that's been highly processed. So yeah, there's probably a place for reducing high sodium products because those are highly processed and the sodium's highly processed, but the salt itself isn't the problem. It's the foods and the form that all of that salt has been um, processed to. 
Right. I almost think that doctors might assume so many of their patients are eating terrible foods, like highly processed foods with a lot of additional salts and not the right salt, right? Not the salt we want. And so maybe that's why they still tell their patients don't eat a lot of salt because they might just assume that they're getting a lot from other sources, but get rid of the processed foods and eat the mineral salts, right? Um, exactly. And what's the difference between salt and sodium? A lot of people are confused by this. And, you know, I went through a stage where I was very confused by it too. Yeah. So when we talk about salt in chemistry, there's salt is a lot bigger category than something you'd find on your kitchen table. Mm -hmm. So in chemistry, salt is an acid and a base that's bound together. So you have magnesium chloride, you have magnesium sulfate. Those are all salts. When we talk about food salt, they're salting our food and our bodies our bodies are primarily sodium chloride in our cellular fluid. Now we have intercellular and extracellular fluid and potassium is really important too, as is magnesium, but our bodies are primarily sodium chloride based, which is why that's, that's the IV we get in the hospital. And so when it comes to sodium in, in salt, you have a sodium molecule and a chlorine or chloride molecule and they're bound together in our bodies. When we eat those, they break apart and our bodies, to balance the intercellular and extracellular fluids, we have what they call the sodium potassium pump. And it helps bring in and release moisture in the cell so our cells stay nice and hydrated. If you were to take an IV solution or a saline solution and rinse your eyes, it wouldn't sting at all. If you rinse your nose, it won't sting at all. If you rinse your eyes with distilled water, they'll get really sticky um, because it's actually drying your eyes out because your eyes need saline solution. Um, and so, in the body, the salt, sodium chloride, the sodium becomes you know, essential for balancing the, the moisture and the hydration levels in the cells. Then the chloride detaches and that becomes hydrochloric acid. And so our bodies digest with hydrochloric acid, but we don't, we don't drink hydrochloric acid. Our bodies make it by the hydrogen from the water and the Cl or the chloride, HCl, and the chloride becomes the, the chlorine for hydrochloric acid, which is essential for digestion and and you know, parasite control and all kinds of great things. Our, our stomachs are a great first line of defense um, in our immune systems. And if we don't have hydrochloric acid, if, we don't, if we're not eating sodium chloride, we're gonna have a, a more trouble than just the hydration in the cells because of sodium. We're also gonna have trouble with the digestion as well. Absolutely, and that's actually one of my questions for you was about HCl and the importance of the chloride and the salt. Um, without enough stomach acid, the minerals and the nutrients are, for our bones won't be absorbed properly. And some of the signs of low stomach acid include heartburn, reflux, burping, seeing food in your stools, gas, and bloating. And people with chronic constipation or loose stools typically have issues with low stomach acid as well. And so they go to the doctor, they go out and go to the GI doctor. And what does the GI give them? PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. And that just makes it worse. I think that proton pump inhibitors are completely overused and people's bodies become reliant and, and dependent on this to create the HCL so that their bodies can never or have a very difficult time getting back to a state where they can, it can produce its own HCL to properly digest and absorb food. Um, so HCL is, is huge. PPIs are bad. <laughs> right? um, so why is salt essential for life? I know we've touched on a few things, but 
Here, first, let me list off signs of salt deficiency and see if any of you out there might have. If you feel dehydrated, irritable, muscle cramps, nausea, fatigue, and headaches are some of the biggest um, signs of being <coughs> depleted. But anything that you can add to that about how why this is so essential for life? Yeah, so... The worst case scenario, eventually you die from something called hyponatremia, which is low salt. And every year, unfortunately, you watch the news in the summertime, especially in areas that are really hot and humid, like, you know, Texas, like Florida, California, and even a lot of the military bases will struggle with this because you're out there running in the hot sun. It's super humid. You've got a backpack on, probably fully dressed. And you're just sweating and sweating and sweating. And whether it's a football team or a military exercise or even a forest fighter in California or even a roofer that's out there in the sun all day, you're just sweating and sweating and sweating and you're just losing these electrolytes. And so things like irritability come in, headaches are really uh, an early sign of dehydration. Um, and so if we start listening to our bodies and when we have a headache, instead of thinking, oh, I'm low on ibuprofen. Um, you know, that first sign of a headache, you might try going to some good clean water and some good electrolytes to replace those electrolytes that you've lost, whether you were biking, running, hot yoga, you know, forest fighter, roofers, construction, pretty much anything. As we are sweating, uh, as we are urinating, as we're crying, we are just flushing salt. And salt is essential for, for cleaning the cells and for maintaining cell function, for neurotransmitter function. You know, outside of a spiritual discussion here tonight, Jill, the only difference in you and I visiting as alive people one minute and being dead on the floor the next minute, outside of a spiritual discussion is the absence of an electric current because our, our mind tells our hand to move with electricity. And so if I don't conduct electricity, if I can't, if my body can't move that electric current through my body, then I'm dead. And that's why in the hospital, an IV solution is the primary solution for, for everything. Um, and you actually can't overdose on an IV bag. If you have 0.9% IV solution, you might need a catheter, but it's not going to throw the body out of sodium and out of your electrolyte balance. And then you have other IV bags like a lactated ringer solution, which has sodium and chloride, but it also, if you look at the label, like on lactated ringers, you might get in surgery, contains potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, and a lot of the doctors now, and a lot of the journals of American, um, the Journal of America, let's see, the Journal of Clinical Nutrition, talk about how it's not sodium that's the problem. It's these other electrolytes that balance and interact with sodium. And so they've found that you can have the highest blood pressure or the lowest blood pressure consuming high amounts of sodium based on if you're eating adequate amounts of calcium, potassium, and magnesium, these other electrolytes that complementary work together to keep the body in balance. And so by focusing on any particular electrolyte and just, you know, just focusing just on sodium, you're going to probably have a problem, which we've seen in medicine now. And, and if you just focus on just potassium or just sodium, you can actually eventually, you'd have to work hard at it because we're getting so much sodium and so many processed foods, but you could equally throw the body out of balance by drinking too much water or getting too much iodine or getting too much potassium or getting too much magnesium. And so we really need to look at a, a lot more holistic approach to electrolytes than just <clears throat> this one's good, this one's bad. Right. And so you mentioned um, some ways in which we lose electrolytes through body fluids. 
urinating, <clears throat> diarrhea if you're sick, um, <clears throat> sweating. And it's really interesting because if you're a coffee drinker, for every three to four cups of coffee or caffeine that you drink, your body loses a half a teaspoon of salt. And if you exercise for 60 minutes a day, you lose another half teaspoon. So most people drink their coffee and then they go to the gym, right? That's a teaspoon of salt right there. And what's really interesting is that the CDC and the American Heart Association both recommend adults to eat no more than half a teaspoon a day or 2,300 milligrams. So right there, you're gonna be in a deficit because if you have your coffee, and then you go to the gym, you're already down a teaspoon. And if the um, CDC is telling you only have half a teaspoon, you're still in the deficit. And they're also, you know, on the what most functional medicine doctors think is on the low end of optimizing um, using salt and electrolytes. So the ideal, so... Um, if you drink coffee, if you exercise, you absolutely have to replace your electrolyte fluids or you're not going to recover. And it's all about recovering and optimizing. Functional medicine rec doctors usually recommend between one and a half to three and a half teaspoons of salt a day. So think about that. The CDC is recommending half a teaspoon and functional medicine MDs are looking at the research, looking at the science and saying, no, you need at least one and a half to three and a half. Now I can tell you as a carnivore, I take even more. I take somewhere between three and five teaspoons of salt a day because I need that higher end of salt because I'm not eating any processed foods. Everything I eat is void of salt. So I need to put in more. Um, so what do you have to say about those numbers in terms of I'm sure you get asked it all the time. How much salt should we eat? And we all know that everybody's different from each other and everyone has a different formula. Yeah. And I think part of that is just listening to our bodies talk and kind of finding out what works for us. There's a great book. Um, it's actually written by an MD there in the Midwest. His name is Dr. David Brownstein. And his book is called Salt Your Way to Health. And he talks about in his book how healthy kidneys are actually health, a healthy kidney can process up to four ounces of salt a day in a healthy kidney. Now, if you have dialysis or, or something else, kidney failure, just ignore everything I'm saying right now. But a healthy kidney actually can process a lot of salt. Um, that doesn't mean you should have that much because that would need a lot of water to offset that. But healthy kidneys can process quite a bit of salt. And so when somebody switches on to a more natural diet, you know, salt's a great preservative. Um, because, and because of that, it's used in a lot of cooking. Like if we're going to do, if, if we didn't have a refrigerator, we would have both eaten a lot more salt than we do today because everything we would have eaten off season would have been preserved in salt, kimchi, sauerkraut, pickles, jerky, dried fish, you know, everything would have salt on it as a natural preservative. And yet today we're, we're not eating as much of that type of food, but a lot of the food that comes out of cans or the freezer section or a lot of these processed stored foods have high amounts of salt. And so as we're, we're switching and eating a more natural, more, more fresh diet, whether that's more plant-based or animal-based, we need to go out of our way to add that salt in because the foods don't have enough salt to, to meet those, those, that function of the body. And as part of that discussion, maybe it would be a good time to talk about how the nature of salt has changed. So if we go back 
200 years ago or a thousand years ago even, the nature of salt was very different than you might go into the grocery store and get out of the blue canister on the shelf. And, and the reason for that is twofold. So the first thing is salt in the oceans or even an ancient seabed like the real salt here in Utah or the Himalayan salt, salt in nature occurs as a complex chloride. And so it has sodium chloride in the oceans, but it also has calcium chloride, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, trace amounts of iron and iodine and magnesium and zinc, all of these trace minerals. Well, of those, the calcium, the potassium, the magnesium, and the sodium are the big ones. And so salt companies around the turn of the century realized that they could take seawater and they can move it to the first pond or the Great Salt Lake here in Utah. They could bring that water into a pond, put a different liner in it, and they could pull out the magnesium. Then they can move it to the next pond and pull out the potassium. They can move to the next pond and pull out the calcium. And now you've got this sodium and chloride or, or salt left, but it's not really the same thing as our native ancestors would have harvested salt out of the Carolinas, for instance. They would have brought the seawater in, in pots or in clay-lined ponds, and let the salt settle off altogether in that, one, in that one setting. And so as we start taking away some of those other electrolytes in the salt, that impacts how our bodies react to it. So that's one aspect. The other is salt is hygroscopic. And so I have a salt crystal here. And if I, it's more pink than looks like kind of white here in the picture. But um, if I sat this salt crystal on a plate on a humid day, it's actually going to suck water out of the air because it's hygroscopic. It's dehumidifying the space that it's in. Well, that's a problem in your shaker because eventually your salt crystals will start to clump together because they'll get wet and sticky. And so you can put rice or something in the shaker to make it, you know, make it not stick. The other way to do that is to add a series of chemicals. And so if you go to the grocery store and you look at the label on most salts, you'll see a whole list of chemicals, things like calcium silicate or sodium ferrocyanide or sodium silicoaluminate. And these are all chemicals that they coat the salt crystal with to stop the salt's ability to attract moisture. And they do that so the salt doesn't clump in a shaker. And the saying, when it rains, there's a, there's a tagline with salt, when it rains, it pours. And there's a little girl with an umbrella and the salt is pouring out of her shaker as she's walking in one of these marketing ads. And it says, when it rains, it pours. And it's saying that because the salt crystals are all coated with the chemical. And so the salt doesn't get clumpy on a really humid, rainy day. And so when you take a salt product and the salt's supposed to balance our intercellular and extracellular fluids, and you coat that crystal with an anti-caking agent to stop its ability to react with moisture, and then we eat that, that's going to act a lot different in our bodies mm -hmm. than the natural clean salt that, that humans and animals have sought out since the dawn of time. Mm, I did not know that. That's really interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, that brings us to how do we shop for salt? I mean, there's, you know, it's like shopping for protein bars, you know, <laughs> but there's, it's like a, a wall of all these options, pink and black and maroon. And, you know, what, how, how do we shop for it? What are we looking for? Well, obviously I'm a little biased and I, I love real salt. I love the brand Redmond, but there's a lot of good salts out there. And as much as I'd like you to pick ours, there is a lot of other good salts out there. So I think whether you're buying salt or you're buying a great piece of steak for your dinner um, or kale or whatever it is you're, you're buying, I think there's three really good questions to ask. And I think those three questions will get a great salt product 
or a great steak for your dinner. And so the first question I think you ought to ask is who's producing it? Um, you know, today our food travels a lot of miles and sometimes travels through a lot of hands. And by the time you walk into a grocery store and you buy a shaker of salt, it may be really hard to know who's actually producing that product. But if you can find out, then you can ask that person a lot of really great questions. And same thing with the great steak, you know, things like, is it grass fed? And there's a lot of really important questions when it comes to what meat we consume, because it can be done great or it can be done really not great and salt's the same way. So the first question is who's producing it? The second is knowing the source. Now, when it comes to salt, salt, regardless of, of how it's produced, can be defined as sea salt. So sometimes I say, who has heard that sea salt's better? And a lot of people raise their hand. And back in the 1970s, that might've been the case. But today you can have salt coming from an, a current ocean, the San Francisco Bay, the Gulf of Mexico, the Sea of Japan, the Hudson. These unfortunately aren't the cleanest bodies of salt water. You know, we humans have done a lot of things right, but being great um, caretakers of the planet Earth probably isn't one of our, our high points. And so unfortunately our oceans and a lot of our land isn't as clean as it was long ago. So knowing the source is really important. Um, and I think the same thing, if, if you're getting a great steak or you're getting eggs or, or whatever it is we're eating, we can know the source and know who's producing it. Um, and then the final question is, what are they doing to it? Are they taking anything out? Are they putting anything back in? And I think if we ask those three questions, we'll end up with a lot better food choices. And I think you mm -hmm. might end up with Redmond Real Salt, which I think is a great brand, and you might end up with a different one. But I do think those three questions will lead you to really safe and probably healthier dietary choices. Is there a difference between Himalayan pink salt and a Redmond real salt from two completely different places on the planet? And Himalayan was really like the big thing. Everyone knew what that was first, right? Um, is there a difference in the minerals? There's about 2,400 miles difference. Um, and that's the biggest difference. So there in, in Pakistan, there's a lot of different deposits. Uh, it's a big, big salt deposit. So if you Google search um, uh, Pakistan salt mines, you'll pull up and there's, there's a lot of mines there. Um, and if I lived there, I probably would find a good producer there in the area that's doing it right and, and save the food miles and not, you know, take the salt from Utah all the way over there. Um, Generally speaking, they have a really good product. It's an ancient seabed. Geologists date about the same time. The mineral profile is a little different. Um, if you taste them side by side, I think the real salt has a little sweeter overtone. The Himalayan has a little higher sulfur content sometimes. It has a little bit sharper flavor. Um, but generally speaking, I personally believe they're both really good products. And if I didn't have real salt here in Utah, that would be one that I would, that I would go to. Um, and I think there are some good deposits still that are good sources that still come from our current oceans. Um, however, we do have a lot of microbeads, a lot of plastics and some potential mm -hmm. things in our oceans that, you know, we didn't have back when the dinosaurs were, were wandering um, through these salt deposits. So. Right. And what about table salt? How is table salt produced and why does that have such a bad rap? So, Table salt is kind of a loaded question because there's a lot of differences in that category. But if you look, if you went, if you're a listener or a viewer tonight, or you're watching this later, go to your kitchen cupboard and grab whatever shaker you have in the cupboard and then look at the ingredient panel. 
Um, now, what it won't tell you is if it's a demineralized product, meaning they're not going to tell you if they've if they've already taken out some of the potassium or magnesium out of it. Um, most most do because it's it's quite economical to do that. Um, and then the next thing is to look at the label and see what additives are there. Um, mm. If there's anything but salt, I think you could probably find a better product. Um, a lot of the chemicals that are listed, though, are those anti-caking agents, okay. things like yellow preciative soda, which is sodium ferrocyanide, things like a sodium silicoaluminate, which is kind of an antiperspirant type chemical. Mm -hmm. Again, these are chemicals that are added to salt to stop the salt's ability to attract moisture. And then you'll have um, iodine added. Now, iodine is an interesting discussion because, as you know, yeah. as a nutritionist, most people are iodine deficient. Um, iodine Salt was never meant to be a source of iodine. We all need iodine and most people, especially women are probably iodine deficient and that can lead to some pretty serious health problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think most people should be going out of their way to find good sources of iodine to add to their diet. Whether that's, um, there's a lot of meats that are rich in iodine, but you also have things like uh, dulse and kelp, but seaweed is mm -hmm. a good source of iodine. And even after that, you might wanna consider an iodine supplement because yeah. iodine is so important. But in World War I, if we kind of go back, before World War I, iodine and salt were never linked together. In World War I, we had the draft that was instituted. And in the Midwest particularly, there was a goiter problem. A goiter problem is a sign of an iodine deficiency where the thyroid starts to swell. And in the Midwest particularly, because they're not by the ocean getting a lot of fresh seafood, they're not getting a lot of seaweed and fish, and because at that time, a lot of people are starting to eat a lot of processed sugar, a lot of processed flour, eating out of cans, um, and not realizing some of the mineral deficiencies that would start showing up in the population, like mm -hmm. iodine, which caused the goiter. And so the U.S. military said, we can't draft people in the military if they've got a goiter problem. So we've got to find a way to solve this problem. And I would hope that somebody was smart enough back then to say, well, let's have a campaign on, hey, people, eat more foods rich in iodine. Right. Um, that's not how it worked out. You know, a lot of uh, municipalities today will have fluoride added to the water as mm -hmm. a way to encourage people to eat more fluoride. And iodine doesn't work that way. You can't add iodine to the water supply. Um, they tried to add it to flour as a dough uh, enhancer. That didn't really work either. And so somebody suggested salt. Because salt is absolutely necessary for health, you cannot live without eating salt. They said, let's lace the salt with iodine, and that will force people to eat more iodine because they have to eat salt to live. And so there was a law that was passed that told all the salt companies, if you do not add iodine to your salt, you have to put a warning on the front that says, this salt does not supply iodine a necessary nutrient. Mm -hmm. Even though this salt has trace amounts of iodine in it, it naturally occurring, because we don't add processed iodine to the salt, we have to put that disclaimer. And so my point is that iodine is essential for life, but salt is a poor source for iodine. It did actually work because you were eating enough of it. But if you look at the bioavailability of iodine when it's attached to salt, it's, it's very small. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot better ways to get iodine. And I'm sure you could talk to that a lot better than I could uh, with your clients. Yeah, I, I get so frustrated when I go out to eat, not that we go out that much these days, but hopefully soon we'll be back. 
and I have to end up using the table salt. But then Redmond sent me those little baby packets. Do you have one on you? Because I didn't bring mine over here. And these are just the best. I got a little case of this and I threw them in every bag I own. So I am never without my mineral salt. So thank you for that. Oh, and by the way, everyone, um, we're getting to the end. But when I do get to the end, in closing, I will give you all a discount code to use on their website. So stay tuned for that. Um, let's move to salt and fitness. I'm a huge fitness buff. And we can't really talk about an optimized, healthy lifestyle without talking about exercise, right? We all need to move, whatever that is. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening right now who have kids that are athletes and um, need some kind of electrolyte uh, hydration for their workouts, right? I mean, I have all five kids and four of them are all athletes and um, I'm constantly giving them electrolytes because like we said earlier, you can't just drink water. You have to replenish your, your body. What's the, what's wrong with Gatorade and Powerade? I mean, I know the answer to that, but I want to hear it from you because that's the go-to that's where people go or Pedialyte when their kid is sick, right? We all know that electrolytes are important. And so, you know, I, I, I give this um, kind of a presentation sometimes to parents groups about the importance of, of salt in a healthy diet. And, you know, I think one, it's just the cost. You can make your own sports drink for pennies on the dollar yeah. And you're avoiding all of the food coloring, the high fructose corn syrups, the sugars, the flavors, the all of the other just unnecessary preservatives that are in plastic a lot of bottles. Sports. Right. And so what I like to say is if you're making something, if you're if you're going to a soccer game, you're going to lacrosse. Um, and I use those examples because my oldest loves lacrosse and my younger two are soccer guys and I'm a mountain biker myself. But you can take a quart of clean water. And whether it's, you know, filtered water or spring water, whatever you got, you know, good, uh -huh. clean water, and then add a quarter teaspoon of, of clean, natural, real salt, or the, you know, the salt of your choice. And then a squeeze of lemon and a little bit of honey, if you'd like a little bit of, of energy boost from the honey. And that will make a, a sports drink that's way cheaper, tastes way better. And it's on, you know, it costs you pennies. And so I think that's a great way to, you know, send our kids out to, you know, for their, for their sports or for us as we're out exercising is to just get you know, super easy quart of water, quarter teaspoon of natural salt, squeeze a lemon, a little bit of honey. And, and it's a great sports drink. Now, because I'm an active parent and I know a lot of your listeners probably are too, sometimes even that's still a bit of a, of a pain while you're on the go. And so we actually have made, and I think you've actually you know, tried yeah. some of this yourself. It's, it's relight is what we call it. So as in re-electrolyte. And we take the, the real salt as a base. And because so many people are a little bit lacking in dietary sources of magnesium and potassium, we add a little bit of that as well. So this is just the regular real salt. We add some uh, powdered coconut water, which coconut water is great for electrolytes. Add a little bit of potassium, a little bit of magnesium. And then it's got some stevia. So it's very, um, you know, non-glycemic, um, you know, sweetener. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it tastes amazing. And so you can put a scoop of this in your water bottle as you head out. And right. what have you and your family um, liked about it? Oh, we just love the taste. So I will tell everybody that if you've never had real electrolytes, meaning something that wasn't a Gatorade or a Powerade, you're going to find it salty at first. So I suggest half dosing 
So for example, this is a 20 ounce water bottle. And I would suggest using a half dose at a time in here um, to soften the salt, the saltiness, because it that comes through when you're not used to it. I have all of my clients drinking electrolytes and I can't tell you within days, it has just changed how they feel physically and mentally. And they are all just addicted. They, they would rather drink the electrolytes in their water than just the water. Um, so you can spread it throughout a day. Can you have too much of it? Like, is there a limit to how many scoops a day you can have? There is, and it's really by the person. And so, you know, we kind of talked earlier about listening to our bodies talk. Um, and what's different for somebody is totally different for somebody else. You know, for somebody who um, is, you know, some people have very low high blood pressure, they'll get dizzy when they stand up. Um, mm -hmm. Pots, you know, is something that is you know, salt deficiency. And for someone like that, they could use a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my wife is one of those. She is just always kind of on the low blood pressure scale. And so she yeah. goes through a lot more salt than maybe, you know, somebody else does, especially if they're not active. And so again, for me, when I've got done with a run, there's nothing that tastes better or a bike ride than, than a mixed up full strength, you know, one scoop in that, you know, 16 to 22 ounces. But as I drink more, it gets, it tastes amazing at first. And then it gets yeah. more and more salty as I go which is kind of an indication that, hey, my body's saying, hey, we're, we're good now. That's, that craving right. is satisfied. You know, when, when you're on a, if you've been out in the desert, that first drink of water is you can't get enough of it. But after you drink enough, then your body is like, I'm not thirsty anymore. And if we start to really be in tune, our bodies will tell us that way with salt. You know, I mentioned earlier how I like to suck on salt crystals and I've got a dish of, of coarse salt in the kitchen. And if I walk past, sometimes I'll just suck on a piece and it's amazing when I'm low salt, it tastes really sweet. Almost like you're sucking on a little piece of candy. If you take three or four pieces, by the time I get to that third or fourth, it's starting to taste a lot more salty than it did the first because my body's starting to feel that. And same thing with the sugar craving. Sometimes, you know, when we're craving sugar, we think we're craving sugar, nice. put a little piece of salt and a drink of water and you'll be surprised, or many times you'll be surprised that not only does that satisfy the sugar craving, but it actually satisfies hunger as well. And so a lot of people will use a little bit of salt and electrolytes while they're doing fasting or intermittent fasting because of the way it, it helps balance the body. If somebody goes in to eating a lot of, of fats and proteins or in to a fast, in the first 24 to 48 hours, they burn through a lot of glycogen, which is some, the sugars that are stored in our liver and our body tissues. Glycogen will hold, one gram of glycogen will hold one to or two to three grams of water. And so as we drop our sugar levels because we're fasting or we've switched away from some of the high carb diets, our bodies will, will process a lot more water and salt right out of the gate. And so people talk about a keto flu or a fasting flu and it's, you know, it's this nauseous, it's headache, it's just feeling yucky, but it's because the body is just losing so much yeah. fluid and so much electrolytes. It is really common in the carnivore space as well. When you first go carnivore, you lose a lot of body fluids. Um, and so I didn't realize when I went my full-born carnivore almost a year ago that I needed to up my electrolytes to get balance. And it was a life changer for me, for sure. Uh, but really important to know your, your lifestyle of nutrition and what you need to supplement with to support that lifestyle.
Yeah. One more time. Sorry. You... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut out? You. Ha I said it's. I think it's very important for people to know to be in tune with their healthy lifestyle. What choice, whether it's keto or paleo or low carb, or they're just eating the standard American diet, and how to adjust to the electrolytes that they need to bring in to support that lifestyle. And everybody's yeah. equation is different. Well, and, and you mentioned protein, you know, the body requires a lot more water to process protein. Yeah. And so that's something that I do think some people miss sometimes. They hear that, you know, carnivore diet or protein diet is great, but that does require a lot of water and it does require a lot of salt to, uh, for that to happen. Absolutely. The body should. So before we come to a close, Daryl, tell us about some other awesome products you have. So like the, the different salts. I know you have some different salts. Yeah. So we have this salt, one of my favorites. Um, we actually have a salt grinder. Um, and so it's salt crystals, but we also take freeze dried organic spice. So there's chunks of garlic, there's chunks of, of other seasonings and spice in here. And we have a garlic salt, we have a lemon salt, um, you know, just as important as a healthy, just, you know, shaker for your table is, so are seasonings. You know, oftentimes if you look at your seasonings, um, a lot of times they will use cheaper seasoning. And because of that, they will use flavor enhancers like MSG and others, uh, a lot of these glutamates that will actually boost the flavor to make it taste better, even though it's an inferior product. And so just like salt's important to look at the labels, I, and I'm sure you tell this to your clients all the time, seasonings are just about anything. Um, and then outside of the culinary salt side, we actually have some facial products. We have a, a clay-based face mask that's great for you know, pulling and you know, lifting that dirt surface uh, oils. Um, we have a clay-based toothpaste, which is um, something I've used ever since I was little. I used to say my dad was either cheap or he was a genius, and we brushed our teeth with salt and clay. And, uh, but salt's a great uh, cleanser. And so you, know, you can rinse your mouth in salt. It's a great polisher. Um, and so a toothpaste made with salt and clay just makes sense. So we do have wow, some- how, how does some, that taste? Um, it really good. So um, we use essential oils. And so this uh, is called okay. earth paste. And so it's salt, clay, a little bit of essential oil, um, and just a very clean, um, very clean I'll have to product. try that. Well, thank you so much. I want to give everyone a 15% um, a code to use on their website, which is redmond.life, correct? I got that right? Okay. And so the code you want to use, JF Wellness, like Jill Foos Wellness. And I'll put that in the notes. And Daryl, it was such a pleasure talking about salt. And I hope that the viewers out there have, you know, some nuggets to take away from this and have that talk with your primary care physician and, and just, um, you know, see if this is something that you can increase and give it a try. Give the electrolytes a try for sure. Uh, they taste amazing. They're just a game changer in terms of how you feel physically and mentally. Your cognitive uh, performance just completely is enhanced when you have the right electrolyte balance going in. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for this informative conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And when we wrap up, I'll actually send you um, some of these articles, uh, these oh, are off, uh, the, off PubMed. And so they're really good, you know, peer reviewed articles on the importance of salt 
and linked to blood pressure and linked to diet and nutrition that uh, you can post or share with your clients um, as well. So I'll get those off to you. Oh, that's great. Because what I do is I'll write a blog post about our conversation and I'll insert some of that information as well so that the viewers can go back and read a little bit more, just a, a, a nice summary of what we talked about today. But it was such a pleasure to meet you. I absolutely love your product. I use it morning, noon, and night. Uh, have it in my little... Facebook Live water bottle. And thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jill. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye.